everyone, welcome to the next edition of Lights on Europe. Today we speak to Dorothy Dalton, who's an HR consultant and expert on sexism. If you're a woman, or if you're her husband, partner, colleague or boss, you should know that there's a 94% probability that you have or you will face sexism in your professional life. So listen to this podcast edition and find out more about what actually is sexism. How do we distinguish it from all kinds of intercultural differences across all kinds of countries that we collaborate with? How to protect yourself and how to stand up for your colleagues and friends in meetings, for instance, when you are in the face of sexist situations and comments. Hello, Dorothy. Welcome to our podcast. Good morning. Thank you very much for joining us to discuss this fascinating topic, which is sexism at our workplaces, uh, which I think is a big topic and it has become much bigger with the Me Too movement and with the society being much more open about all kinds of sexism that women and men are going through in their families and in their lives. So I'm really looking for uh, towards all the advice that you are going to give to our audience about how to identify sexism and how to protect themselves. Before we go into that, uh, tell us a little bit about your personal path and how did it happen that you ended up as a coach specialized in topics like sexism? Uh, well, my early career was in the steel industry, which, as you can imagine, is very male-dominated. And the year I joined, out of 150 graduate trainees, there were three women. And in fact, the ladies were still friends. And I was very focused. My first project was on identifying women and with their positions in the management structure in, in the steel industry or my division of the steel industry. And in fact, there were 15 and we all eventually knew each other by name. So I think out of a population of, of 10,000, that's how many women were in senior roles. Wow. So, I mean, you can imagine. Um, so I, I grew up in a, or came through the ranks in a background where trade unions wouldn't stay in a meeting with a woman in the room. Um, I mean, people put their hands on your bum. Um, and that was an everyday occurrence. So this was the 80s in the UK, right? It was, yeah, late 70s, 80s, early 80s. So eventually I, I went to do other things. I moved to Europe and I, I had a, a commercial career. And when I moved to Brussels, I um, set up my own HR consultancy. And um, I was astonished and, and disappointed to find out that when my daughter graduated from law school and entered the legal profession, that she was having exactly the same problems as I had over 20 years later. So it was then I decided to become much more active, refocus my efforts. And so now a branch of my business is specifically focusing on supporting organizations that want to achieve um, gender balance and diverse and inclusive workplaces, but also to help women advance in their careers and to reach their potential. So that's where we got to today. And and just over time, um, I've, I've written blogs and articles and I've been a speaker. So I become very much associated with this, this area. And I'm currently working on a, um, a handbook for the European Institute of Gender Equality, so AGA. Which is one of the agencies of the, the European Commission. Yeah, exactly. And we're putting a, a handbook together on how to combat sexism in, in, in the workplace. So, so that's this my story. really sounds great because obviously much of the women empowerment space is focusing on women finding their voice and being fully self-expressed in their careers. But there is very little talk about the bigger iceberg that's 
that's below all of this, which can also include sexism and all kinds of barriers that the women have to go through before actually uh, they, they rise in the ranks and really manage to use their talents for whatever they would like to use them in their professional life. And so I find it really interesting that an institute uh, like IGA and many other organizations finally start putting a bit more structure into the conversation about uh, sexism for instance and so let's look into the definitions first what is it really because also the two of us when when we met for the first time this is the first question that I asked you simply because us who are working in a much more diverse intercultural space we would often question the normality of certain behaviors and sometimes it's difficult for a woman and a man, obviously, to judge themselves to which degree they're supposed to trust their gut feeling and know that certain behaviors that they are seeing are not normal. And where is the borderline between some behaviors being more normal in certain cultures and where does it become sexism? So how do you explain what it actually is? Well, I, th I think what one of the the problems about sexism in, in the workplace is it's, it's one of those epidemics that's hidden in plain sight. And I think that we're all so used to dealing with it, seeing it, that very often we don't even notice it. It's in the books we read, it's in the adverts we see, it's the magazines we read, we see it on social media. So it's not just the hand on the bum? Um, it's not just a hand on the bum. I mean, that's a very crude part of it. But there are lots of, of subliminal messages that we get. And over time, we, we've built up, particularly women of my generation who grew up with that very crude behavior, we have quite a high level of tolerance of unacceptable behavior. Whereas I think women of your generation, you're much more reluctant to accept that. And the reason is, is that we were raised differently. I mean, basically, we were raised to that this was our place and we had to accept it. I would agree with what you're saying when it comes to the physical behaviors and physical spaces and maybe our roles in partnerships and in the families. I'm not so sure whether it's so different when it comes to our language. I think we are also raised to tolerate a lot more simply because the public communication space has become so much more brutal with social mm. media out yeah, there and has, with the yeah. online harassment coming in that a typical girl and a teenage woman learn to accept a lot of brutality and, and simply insensitive language as they're growing up. So I think it takes a lot of education and role models for women and men, uh, let's not forget men also in this conversation, to keep this sensitivity and to be able to address where the normality or where the borderline is, especially also when we're talking in foreign languages and where we're not in our, our natural yeah, space. I think that's true. And and I think it, it's um, there's a local organization called JUMP, which did research in Belgium and France, and 94% of women experience sexism and harassment in the workforce. 94% and 75% of cases are not reported. And one of the reasons that women don't report these, we, we had a conversation lo last time we met, they are afraid of reprisals, they're afraid of being shamed, and they're afraid of some sort of repercussion on their career. So I think there are a number of ways of going about it, and I think the Me Too, Too movement really opened up a Pandora's box of and, and the conversation. It's about identifying sexism, because most people say, hmm, he was just joking, or, you know, he's from, 
whatever country it's from, um, where they do that. They also are very tolerant because perhaps he's married or has daughters or he's a nice man or whatever it is. But I think we've all started to question that these types of behaviours. I think the difficulty is, is that most of us struggle to call it out when we see it and we don't feel un uncomfortable. And so let's come back to the scale of it. When you say 94% of women, oh my God, it's everybody, right? And it so is, it is everybody. I do have difficulty finding a woman in my circles who wouldn't have experienced sexism but obviously it also depends on uh, what you what you label that and so i can already hear many men asking us how do we dare to let's say label something sexist which it's not or being more hysterical about certain behaviors and how insecure they could be when they no longer know in the post me too world where they can make certain comments or not so can you give us a couple of examples where maybe something could be called as unacceptable which it still is because i have the feeling that many women would simply not know what they can label as sexism so what would be the typical, let's say, five to seven categories you would give them? I, th I think the first thing to emphasize is that I don't think men get out of bed in the morning um, thinking I'm going to be um, make that woman's life miserable and make sexist comments. I don't think that happens. I think a lot of the sexism we encounter, particularly in the workplace, is unintentional. I think that's the first thing. And not all sexism is hostile. That's also really important. And we see it in, we call that benevolent sexism. And it's based on, if you like, a, an unequal distribution of power where men are seen as protectors and women are seen as in need of protection and dependent on men. And very often we see this in the workplace where, oh, we won't give a woman that job because you know it's a bit uncomfortable or it's late at night or she's got kids or maybe because she's pregnant she don't, she won't want to travel or she's a mum she won't want that promotion so that's gender based biases in the decisions that the businesses are taking yeah and that's a sort of a benevolent sexism because in theory they're looking after women um, and we don't notice it and what is happening now, and this is going on in um, the European communities and lots of other organizations is that setting up what we call nudges and interrupters to make sure that our decisions are free of bias and we are making rational decisions based on competence and skills and information and data, not about how we feel about that particular woman. So that's the benevolent sexism piece. Um, then you've got another another series which would be written, um, verbal, and visual. So verbal is making jokes, and yeah, he didn't mean anything about it. It was just a bit of fun. Well, it's only fun for the person who receives it. So that's really important. It can be visual, where men are staring at or ogling or um, making a woman feel uncomfortable. And it can be um, written, where you, you're sending, I don't know, inappropriate um, text messages or WhatsApp is very common at the moment. Um, you might send inappropriate photographs or all of that range of things. And another delicate area is the compliment area. Yes really sensitive. One of the things, there's a, um, a, a great thing called Flip It to Test It from um, a colleague of mine called Christine Pressner. I don't know if you, she's the HR um, director for Roche. And she developed a methodology of Flip It to Test It. So basically, if you wouldn't say it to a man, don't say it to a woman. So for example, um, if someone says, you're distracting me in that dress, Right? 
Which all of us have heard in our meetings. Okay, so many women have heard that. If you would not say your tie is really distracting um, and you're so beautiful, you're distracting, do not say it to a woman. And I know that certain women, particularly older women, think, oh, it's nice to have a compliment, but that should be kept within your personal relationships. So I think when in doubt, don't. And so this is one of the very valuable tips. Let's go deeper into okay. how can women protect themselves when they're in a sexy situation. Well, it's it's quite interesting. There's research from an American man um, called Jackson Katz, who looked into the strategies that men and women devise to protect themselves from, I'm talking about sexual harassment or inappropriate sexual behavior. So the default that I was raised to do was ignore and move on. Okay, so that that's one. But women have got loads of strategies. Um, you know, we don't don't wear too much makeup. Don't wear low cut dresses. Don't wear short skirts. Don't provoke, right? Because don't, then don't you become the source of the attack. Yeah, because it's your fault if if somebody you know wolf whistles or ogles you. We we don't walk. We're careful where we park our cars. We don't jog on our own. Um, we don't jog late at night. Um, we make sure we double lock our doors in our apartment. All of these strategies that we do, we have to keep safe. How many strategies do you think men have? Zero. One. Fight back. One. One. And the only time that they would be concerned about being sexually harassed or inappropriate behavior is if they went to prison. Wow. So women have, um, 3plus my company, did um, some research on this and I wanted to do an A4 infographic and we literally ran out of space. Ran out of space. So women, it's something that is on their minds all the time. So you've got the severe end of the spectrum. So I think if you're in a situation where something severe happens, then you obviously need to escalate it and, and call in support. Um, but on the lower end of the spectrum, that there are two things you can do. You can self-advocate, okay? And I'm a really big fan of that. Just close it down. And so this is a big one, and let's maybe uh, speak about it uh, in more detail. Okay. Because this is something that many of us are typically facing in professional environments when stuff happens in the meetings and you hear a comment which is not normal. And so obviously you have <laughs> a whole plethora of options, whether you ignore and move on or you fight back. And how do you find the right language of fighting back and commenting so that it's not repeated again and so that you establish your position in, in, the, in the negotiating team let's say so that it's not impacting on your on your position in the conversation in the professional environment and so uh, let's look at an example of a comment that can happen in a professional meeting and how a woman can really comment on it professionally but effectively um, the first thing I want to do is reframe your language it's not a fight okay um, so it's not fighting back it's not a fight yes I mean what you're doing is you're making a boundary clear I mean, and I think the first thing to understand is that you cannot change that person's truth. You know, if they've been raised in a certain way, that they have a certain set of beliefs and values, and they believe that certain behavior is acceptable, you are not going to change it. Certainly not in that one moment. So what you're focusing on is drawing your own line in the sand. So I had a really um, interesting question last week when I was running a workshop. And one of the women there said that she was also um, always being referred to as the girl from comms. 
Okay. Well, she's a, a woman. I mean, I don't know how old she was, but I would say probably in late 20s, early 30s, something like that. So clearly not a girl. And she wanted advice how to how to shut that down. So um, the first thing you do is you you point it out. I notice you referred to me as a girl. Okay, that's the fact, right? Then you want to find out what the intention of the person is. What did you mean by that? Help me understand what you meant by that. This is a very useful advice. Very useful. This is really, um, really great. So help me understand. Because you're not going into attacking them in no. what they're saying, but calling yeah. them out on why would you say it. Yeah. So help me understand why you said that. And they might come up with some reason. Oh, well, we just... We thought it's funny. Oh, they probably didn't even think it's funny. They just thought maybe they were being complimentary or it doesn't matter what their reasoning is. And then you go forward. Okay, I prefer that you don't do that. You know, I'm a woman and I prefer that you don't do that. So let's agree that that's the end of it. And normally for the average person, that is all you need to do. I mean, it does happen that somebody is a, is a bit tricky. And then you were talking about sexism and harassment. So sexism is a harassment can be a pattern of quite low level behaviors. But if they're repeated and they're persistent and they're targeted, then it becomes harassment. And then you flag it up. So um, point it out, check it out, work it out. So, you know, identify the fact, find out the intention and find a way going forward and that should draw a line under it. This is the self-advocacy. Then yeah. what do we have more? Um, the second is as a bystander. Okay. Now this research... people became much more aware when, who was it, Obama administration going yeah. big on women protecting each other and standing up for each other yeah. when this situation arises. So that's called the shine or amplification. And when that happens, it means that you team up with other women and you support each other. So if you get interrupted in a meeting, then your friend will say, can let Lucia finish her point? Or I want to um, just loop back to the point that Lucia made earlier. So it's about reinforcing your authority and maybe your idea and recognizing that you need to speak. And being on the team of the other women in the room. Exactly. So it's a bit of solidarity. But even if you... And by the way, men are more than welcome to yeah. play this uh, function in, in the dynamics of any team as well. Exactly. And that's what I was going to say about being bystanders, is that research from Deloitte says that 75% of people in the workplace witness inappropriate behavior or something that damages the organization without intervening. So if everybody um, intervenes and says to their colleague, man or woman, it doesn't make any difference. Um, if it's a man, I, I'm, I noticed that you just interrupted Lucia when she was um, presenting her idea. Can you let her continue? It's really important not to say, don't speak to Lucia like that because um, it's not fair, you'll upset her because you make Lucia a victim or a target twice. So it's always about the method or the scene or whatever it is making you as the bystander feel uncomfortable. And so you say that in most of the organizations this doesn't happen. My hypothesis would be, or at least coming from the organizational spaces that I've experienced, this is probably because 
there isn't simply any awareness raising done around this and you are not empowered to know how to do this in the right way. And also, I've never really seen role models around me, anybody doing this in the meetings. Do you agree that these are the main reasons or why do we continue observing these kind of behaviors around us without doing anything about it? If collectively we agree that this is not normal. I think it's generally because businesses, organizations are generally male coded. So we value characteristics that are attributed to successful men. So they're outward going, they're assertive, they're dynamic, um, they're go getting, they're risk taking, they're all of these things. And women are expected to be um, supportive, collaborative, nice, calm, all of these things. So basically we're asking for a, a change in that. And what I would like to see is more managers getting training in how to run inclusive meetings because, and this applies to men and women, is that they don't, they don't have that training. So it's about making sure that all the voices are heard. And it's not just um, women, it's the maybe introverted men because not all men are alpha males and pushy. And, um, and you see, I've worked also with a lot of men who feel a, you know, significant pressure of having to conform to these male stereotypes that we assign them. And so if there are people listening to us who are running their own teams or are running companies, what is the low-hanging fruit advice you would give them if they want to roll out a bit of sexism prevention, awareness raising activities? What, what is the easiest thing uh, they could do? What is the resources that they can uh, search for in order to make their teams more uh, literate in this domain and more aware and more empowered to fight back, if you, even if you say it's not a fight, to protect themselves. Well, well I, th I think it's about creating more inclusive environment. And certainly as a, as a manager or a supervisor, that some, some of the um, tips are really low cost. I mean, one of the things that, that I really like is creating a team charter. And it's about with your team sitting down and saying, okay, what do we agree as a team is acceptable or unacceptable behavior? And I think particularly when you're working in a multicultural um, environment, then that gives a chance for different people to exchange views. Well, I come from such and such a place and there it's quite normal that we, you know, we crack jokes about blondes or, you know, that, you know, women like to be told, you know, that they look great or whatever. And then you can agree, agree what, what the norm is and then it's much easier to do to deal with if someone crosses that line because hey we agreed in our team meeting that we weren't going to do that and that makes it much easier and then the other thing is for for managers and supervisors is to give everyone the chance to speak and um there's a guy called simon sinek do you yes. you must know him um so the leadership um expert and he says that um leaders speak last so it's about asking questions. So instead of um, coming in and, you know, putting your foot down, being very authoritarian and assertive, you say, okay, what, what's going on for you? What do you think? And making sure that the quietest people have a voice. That's really important. So after so many years of working in this domain, do you see any progress happening? Because numbers would tell us that there is really an epidemic of sexism exploding, but I guess it's also thanks to the awareness raising and empowerment of the victims of it who dare to speak up and report it. So I guess it's difficult to say if there's more or less of it happening, but can you 
at least give us a bit of hope of more education being out there and can we hope for let's say in 10 years that women are not going to be dealing with this to an extent to which they are now i wish i could say that i thought it was getting better but i think it's stalled and i think we're seeing this um particularly in politics with the the, the way that women are being treated I and mean, we've seen a lot of female people drop out of the political space because they can't bear it any longer well because their targets of i mean horrendous misogyny i mean her- horrendous um misogyny and i went to see um Fintan O'Toole um speak and he was correlating populism and misogyny and with the rise of these quite extreme views we're also seeing a, a backlash in terms of sexism and harassment but what it needs is really strong leadership commitment to invest in training to invest in resources to commit to systemic change i think particularly now that we have um a woman commissioner that i'm i'm hoping the president of the european commission, commission yes yeah that i'm hoping that we will see we will start to see some changes and concrete action being implemented and concrete in action with strong away models. with these kind of behaviors well you're never going to do away with it and that's another thing we've got to be pay attention to what you're going to do is learn to manage it yes you will never eradicate it so people who talk about eradicating unconscious bias that that's not correct what you do is create awareness around it and systems and behaviors to manage it So I hope this was useful to everybody who's listening so that next time they are empowered if they're in this situation and hopefully there will be less and less of them. Thank you very so. much. I hope so. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. For follow up you can find us on all major podcast platforms and all social media platforms including our Instagram Lights on Europe. So feel free to go there now and leave us your review, likes, feedback as well as tips on who would you like to hear interviewed next time bye